0: For a very long time, organisations have been obsessed and actually really proud to be customer obsessed. And I think we all have to recognise, though, that the only way to deliver great customer experience is to deliver great employee experience.
1: That's Samantha Gadd, the co founder and co CEO of Excellent, and this is Wild Hearts. Welcome to Season 3 of Wild Hearts. I'm your host, Mason Yates, and this is the podcast dedicated to revealing the secrets from the founders looking to change the world. Today, I'll be interviewing Samantha Gadd, the co-founder and co-CEO of Excellent, a business that exists to build a world where missions are accomplished by people who love what they do. Excellent is right at the beginning of its journey of creating a new category of employee experience having just raised its pre-seed round. There is no one better place to build this company than Samantha Gadd. She has literally been building this for the last 10 years of her life. So in this episode, we'll be covering what limits us from seeing our roaring potential from her experience as a professional coach, the most common problems and solutions she dealt with serving high growth companies from her successful consulting business, Humankind, and the insights that a supercharging excellence vision to place the employee at the center of a company's focus. And here is my conversation with Samantha.
0: I'm really excited about this chat, actually. It's going to be cool.
1: Yes, I'm also very excited. And maybe the best way we could actually start this conversation is by talking about the summit you just put together, how you thought about bringing the the different voices together for the EX Manifesto Summit.
0: So what we're trying to do is create an employee experience manifesto for the world. So at the moment, employee experience is not particularly well understood around the world. And so... We want to help organizations, leaders, uh, practitioners to be on the same page about what employee experience is and how to do it better. And while we could have taken a crack at that ourselves, we thought it, the best idea would be to collect a really incredible group of thinkers to collaborate and write this together. So that was the purpose of the Employee Experience Manifesto Summit in Austin recently.
1: What's misunderstood?
0: I think that organizations don't have a clear view on the approach to employee experience. So it's very different to how organizations have traditionally been uh, run in that it's designing with your employees, not for your employees. And also, I don't think that employee experience is sitting at the right level in an organization. It needs to really be owned from the board, the CEO, the executive team, not just in a people team, although I believe a people yeah. team will be responsible.
1: Yeah. What What happens when there is a disconnect between the people team and I guess the executive function?
0: I think unfortunately what happens is that employee experience initiatives just aren't sustainable because they need to be backed from the top. And, um, a people team can only do so much to push it through if, it doesn't sit on the agenda of people that are making the decisions on where to invest time and money.
1: Yeah. What what's an example of that? Like I imagine if step one, hey, we really care about our people, let's build a genuine people function. And then what's the next step from that, which is sort of causing the bottleneck? I
0: think if you make a decision that you really care about your people and you build a people function to execute on that. And then a bottleneck or a disconnect might be when an executive team makes big decisions impacting lots of employees and doesn't consider the employee voice in those decisions, then it's kind of like, what's the point in investing in that team or those initiatives in the first place?
1: Yeah. What were some of the insights that came out of the summit and who attended?
0: Oh, so many insights. And we're currently collating. So we're in the getting towards the final stages of drafting this manifesto. And there's going to be some things in there that I think will be a little bit provocative. So we're going to be encouraging organisations...
1: Love provocative.
0: Yeah, well, just encouraging organisations to think differently. Um, And that'll all come out over the next couple of months. But in terms of who attended we had really incredible people from the very like the, the pioneer of employee experience the very first global head of ex at airbnb was with us the head of employee experience from patagonia we had employee experience designers from uber we a really incredible human-centered designer from ibm and then some wonderful and incredibly experienced uh chief people officers from silicon valley and the technology space and then Alongside those people, we also had like the voice of Gen Z. So we had Lucy who runs Shit You Should Care About and has 3.6 million Gen Zers who sort of follow her and she works with them while she's built a community. We had her in the room. We had a designer in the room. Yeah, it was a very diverse group, um, which is cool.
1: What did you notice in some of the differences of their approaches? They're obviously very different businesses, but at the end of the day, many people function and operate the same, but what stood out to you?
0: Some of the really interesting conversation came up around who's responsible and who owns this in an organization. And it was less so about the organizations that they were from, but more so about their perspective and what's important to them. So we had people that were like really like on the side of the business and the commercials. And then we had very human-centered employee thinkers. And Definitely, like both those things are important. Hearing both sides of those kind of coins and whether they had the same views or different views was really
1: interesting to us. I want to continue on that thread, but I actually want to start off right at the beginning because I think that will perfectly lead into what you're building at Excellent. And so as I was stalking your LinkedIn, I noticed you were a professional and personal coach for, was it about five years?
0: Yeah, well, sometime quite early in my career, actually.
1: Yeah. And obviously you've been a founder for what looks like a decade. Mm-hmm. Now that you're starting another business, what are some of the leading indicators you look out for that give you the information that you're heading towards burnout or stress where it's impacting your decision making?
0: Yeah, it's a really great question. For me, it's probably when I stop having fun. When things start feeling hard And also when you get that feeling of being really flat, that lasts for longer than the other feelings. So we all go through ups and downs, of course, but when the flatness sticks around, I think that's when I realize that I'm heading towards burnout. And, you know, I like to push pretty close to that line because I'm a founder that's obsessed with what I'm doing, but I always want to make sure that I'm having fun and having a decade of experience under my belt. I've learned a lot about what that looks like for me.
1: What does it look like for you?
0: It's actually just doing the things that I'm good at and building a fantastic team around me to do the things that I'm not. Yeah. I think if I play to my strengths, things feel easier and life's just more full of joy.
1: Yep. And what does flat actually feel like? Like there were days this week, I've had a very busy month and like I'm trying to pick up those early indicating signs of burnout. And for me, it's like just, go work out and just get into that health prioritization for mm-hmm. one first, but what is it for you to like notice those signs of flatness? And then how do you sort of escape uh, the burnout before it, it hits you?
0: Yeah. It's a good question. To answer the first bit around what flat feels like, you know that you're flat or flatter than usual when, you can't like celebrate successes. You can't, you can't enjoy the the great things that are happening around you. And Mm. so if you're having wins and they're not making you smile and not making you feel stoked, then I think that's something to be concerned about. And for me, how do I push out of that? Actually, it's just chatting to people around me, my team, my co-founder, particularly, she's wonderful at you know supporting the mental health journey that is being a founder and also uh, fresh air and being outside is a critical exercising
1: nature mm-hmm. and you're fortunate to be in nz where do you go out in new zealand i mean you probably just have to go down the road right
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm very very lucky we made a big decision <laughs> about like a year and a half ago to move to be across the road from the ocean the ocean oh. is a really place i literally walk across the road and i'm at a surf beach. We downsized our house and made a big call to kind of do that because it was so good for our mental health. So, yeah.
1: So you mentioned earlier that you're getting the most energy because you know what you're good at. How do you think about like, there's this spectrum of knowing what you're good at and then things that you need to learn because you need to get through whatever the challenge is. And there's always this decision of, do I strengthen my strengths or do I strengthen my weaknesses? And especially for folks early on in their career, there's this sort of ambiguity of like, what am I actually good at? And what am I actually bad at? Do you have any advice on how to approach that dilemma?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, as a particularly as an early stage founder, you have to learn how to do everything. And I've absolutely been in that boat where I had to do everything. You know, I'm grateful. I'm now at a point where I know that I don't have to do everything. (laughs) And I do believe in playing in your fast lane because it's better for you and it's better for the people around you. But yeah, I think we all have those times where we have to do bits that we're not so good at. I'm not sure if that quite answered your question. Sorry, Mason.
1: So like, I'll give you a personal example. Growing up, I was a terrible writer, Mm. terrible writer, more on the numbers side, less on the writing side. In my job, if you don't know how to write, you don't know how to basically convey the dream that a founder has told you. And it's such an important part of the job that you really need to articulate the magic of the business that you want to partner with. I'm, I'm glad to have jumped over that hurdle, but it's, it's very much a a lifelong, like being an exceptional writer is a, is a lifelong journey, but it's one where I've had to go, look, writing is a weakness, but I need to make it a strength. That was a conscious decision that I made, Mm -hmm. but I remember facing like the dilemma of, well, like, is this right for me? Like, but now I've come to love writing, but if I just wrote it off as a weakness of mine, I wouldn't have sort of punch through it but sometimes like that is just inefficient time spent like maybe like so I'm curious whether I'm sort of circling back to is the root of that decision about what you're passionate about and maybe looking at your strengths and weaknesses and what you're good at is is just part of the ego messing with you and you need to push through that part because you're passionate about it yeah so in a roundabout way I'm really asking what's the first step to defining what you're good at? Is it like find what you're passionate about first and then figure out what you're good at? Or is it about figuring out what you're good at and then finding out where that passion exists?
0: Great question. And I think about it also as the impact that you want to make. So I'm all for, I love how you kind of really pushed into writing so that you could do the role that you're doing, the broader role that you're doing and have the impact that you want to make. And I've certainly had to like pick up new skills and learn new things to be able to make the impact that I want to make and to grow companies. And I think that as you go on that journey and you find your passion and you figure out what you want to do and the, the impact that you want to make, you'll find that you're better at things and you enjoy things more. And so it's like how you spend most of your time versus little bits of your time maybe. A great example of that for me is I know that I'm stronger as at the external CEOing than I am in the internal CEOing. And so I've actually just made our co-founder, co-CEO, because she's really strong at the internal CEOing, and I'm so excited about that because it means we get to both really play to our strengths.
1: Oh, what's the difference between external and internal CEO? What what does the JD look like <laughs> for both?
0: I well, I feel like a lot of my time is focused on market, network, customers, brand, versus team internal kind of operations, internal strategy. So that's very, very broad. And of course you you do bits of everything, but my energy is, is mostly on the external
1: stuff. Gotcha. All right. Well, we'll definitely jump into that shortly. Speaking of in order for someone to reach their potential, they need to be able to see their potential. What do you think blinds people from seeing how great they can actually become?
0: good question. I think that some people don't believe they're good enough. And I think people, a lot of people don't believe they're kind of worthy or don't have the confidence to give something new a go. They may be really scared or fearful of failure and people are scared of kind of getting knocked down. So they don't push outside that comfort zone and being comfortable in your comfort zone can really stop you from reaching your potential and blind you from what you might be able to achieve.
1: And what's the solution to proving that you are good enough?
0: I think it's giving something smaller go and proving it to yourself and often it's the people that are around you you know it might just take one person to ask you a question or to encourage you to step outside and try something new or maybe you're inspired by someone else to do something a little bit different and then when you realize that's possible that opens up more doors so it's not kind of aiming for the huge thing like it might not be starting a company or expanding to a new country it might just be taking that first step that gives you a bit of confidence to do the next thing
1: yeah and when someone is speaking to you for the first time when you were a professional and personal coach how would people use language for you to identify that someone is currently blinded by that element of the ego Mm.
0: I think often it's not necessarily what people will say but it's maybe how they say it and their energy or their posture or what, like the, the lack of sparkle in their eyes, or if people are holding back or are fearful, it's maybe what you feel versus what you hear.
1: And to get to, I guess, like the root of whatever you're working with that person, are you asking leading questions to uncover, like, are they trying to get to the answer themselves or are you basically giving them the answers?
0: definitely not giving them the answers I'm not sure about you but I absolutely never want to be told what to do so (laughs) ideally it's asking open questions and you know really challenging them helping them to unlock their thinking I really deeply believe that people have the answers inside themselves and and you know yourself and I certainly know if someone asks me questions and I arrive at the answer myself I own that. Like I want to, I want to go and do that thing. Mm. Um, if someone tells me to do that, I don't, I do not want to do that. <laughs> so it's definitely um, asking questions is far more powerful.
1: And what, what does a powerful question look like?
0: It Totally depends on the, on the situation, but you know, even if we're sort of talking about unlocking people's potential, maybe it's like, what do you want? Like, what do you really want? And then tell me more. And then just being quiet and giving that person lots of space. I think to ask that question, a really good idea is to seek permission first. So, are you happy for me to ask you about that? And then that just automatically drops their barriers. If you don't sort of seek permission, you just jump into questions. Often people have got walls up and also being really generous with your questions. I always assume potential and make it really personal and then really listen and listen without judgment and be really open. And I think you will be really surprised what is inside people.
1: Mm. Have you had moments where A, prove it to yourself, B, sort of getting out of your own way, realizing that you are good enough. Were there sort of moments in, I guess, your entrepreneurial life, sort of post your coaching experience where, I guess, your ambition was unlocked and you could see far beyond what you could see before?
0: Definitely. It's it's certainly taken time. And I also think maybe for me, it's been a bit of an age and stage thing. Like I Feel like my 30s were all about figuring it out and feeling really uncomfortable and nervous. And now that I'm just into my 40s, I feel really a lot more confident about myself, who I am in the world, and the job I've got to do. And it's really actually powerful when you get that feeling, but it's probably through lots of experience, failing lots, winning sometimes, and being around people that are just really encouraging of you as well was really powerful.
1: I love that. Let's jump into human kind of sort of alluded to it a few times that you've been an entrepreneur for quite a while. Just give us two seconds on on what Humankind existed for.
0: Sure. So Humankind's still going, by the way. So it's a services company that helps organizations to perform through great employee experiences. Specifically, Humankind helps growth companies, large organizations with the full range of sort of managed HR services and employee experience design.
1: Can you give us a case study on on what that might look like?
0: Yeah. um, We have organizations reaching out to Humankind Every single day, I think, Um, and a lot of the challenges are, (laughs) you know, a lot of the challenges are, I don't know what's happening with my culture, you know, we've got a performance problem, we need to make some change, but we really want to look after our people through that. It's interesting calling a company Humankind, it really does apply an immediate filter to the types of organizations that reach out to you because they generally want to treat their people really good and provide a great employee experience. And so Humankind will work with those organizations to affect that change help them to grow, all of those types of things.
1: What are some of the most common requests that you get?
0: Yeah. A lot of it is growth companies that have got to the point where they're like, oh, people really need to be a focus now. We haven't put any focus (laughs) onto this. And all of a sudden we need systems and processes and frameworks and, and we want to do this well. And or like large organizations that are wanting to make significant change, which impacts people. They need help to do that. They need that objective third party to come in and do the discovery, figure out what's going to really work, and then help them to implement it. Those are some really key things that we do a lot of.
1: So use case being, I just added 100 people last year. Oh, crap. Everything's sort of breaking. What's the sort of step one, two, and three in helping them put in the right systems and processes?
0: Really great question. Step one is always discovery. So organizations always say, what's the first thing we can do? And I'm like, ask your people. And having an organization like Humankind come in is very powerful because it's an objective third party and your employees will open up and tell them absolutely everything. <laughs> and then getting that those really objective insights so that you can take a very sort of well-informed step forward and invest in things that are actually going to make a difference. 100%, that's always the first step. And steps two and three will completely depend on how step one goes.
1: Mm. If I have done little to invest in my people in this so-called company, I imagine there are some pretty fundamental flaws to the way that I've been building this business. So, in, those, in that early discovery period, I'm, I'm just imagining everyone's going, oh, Mason and the company that's screwed up in X, Y, and Z. Do you find that growth opportunities, lack of appreciation, blindness to mental health obligations, what is sort of the spectrum of like the acuteness of problems that you see in a company that has been blind to uh, its people?
0: All of those things, honestly, Mason. And then sometimes it's actually just the real little things. Like I don't have real clarity on what success looks like for my job. You know, it might not be a really big gnarly thing the CEO is worried about. It might just be, I don't quite know why my team doesn't work with that team properly. Or it's often just role clarity and the simple stuff. So that is why it's so important to ask your people first, because they'll know what's most important to them. And often as leaders, we're, we're absolutely stressing about, And something that actually might not even be on the radar of people, they might just need something that's really simple and it's an easy fix. Mm. That's why it's so critical to take that employee centered approach, of course.
1: Mm. And in the case of not knowing what success looks like in my job, what is the sort of timeline that you would work with a company? Because the exercise of going, Hey, what are the company's goals? What are this team's goals? What are the cross-functional team goals? And how can we operate together in harmony and if you do your job really well, then this leads to the X and then Y that I imagine would take a long time for you to wrap your head around. So what does the timeline sort of look like?
0: It depends on how far through a company is and how clear a company is on their own objectives and what's been done on that, in that space. If it's completely blank and the organization isn't even clear on its own objectives, let alone the leadership teams, let alone, you know, and individuals, then that might take, you know, a series of months, Um, but it actually could be far simpler than that. And, I like to think that there's always a really simple, small place to start. It could be a matter of weeks. It could be a matter of months to having someone feel clear about what they're supposed to be doing on a day-to-day basis.
1: Do you ever come across the tension where they say they care about people, but they don't actually care about people and you have to tell them this is why you should care about people? And what does that look like?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got so many great stories <laughs> from hundreds and hundreds of organizations, <laughs> but one that one that sticks in my mind is um, an organization saying, we do it all employee experience. We do so much. We, we do it all. And I'm like, so tell me about that. Like, tell me, what do you do in employee experience? And they're like, well, you know, we, we hire people and, and we pay them. <laughs> and then there was a pause, and I was like, well, that's not even <laughs> the hygiene factors. So let's, <laughs> um, I think some people don't really understand what doing it all actually means. And so often, often it's a real process of education. <laughs>
1: How would you define success at humankind after working with a company?
0: A performance lift, you know, and, and the organization's performance, absolutely. So the organization is growing, it's thriving, the leadership team is sleeping at night, the bottom line's improve. they're achieving the objectives they've got in their strategy. That is success.
1: Mm. What sort of performance improvement have you generally seen after working with teams?
0: Yeah. I mean, all of those things, it depends on what they are setting out to achieve. And every organization has really different objectives. So if it's a large government organization, that'll be completely different to a startup. But in the growth sort of startup space, the success that we see is often growth. So, you know, we've got many, many clients that we've partnered with over a period of months and years where their team has grown significantly and being a part of that story is is really exciting. And that's all because, you know, the employee experience is great and. Therefore, the customer experience is great and therefore the business outcomes improve. Yeah, it's
1: really cool. Mm. I've listened to you describe how employees should be as important as customers. And I think that's kind of a good segue into what Excellent does. Can you expand on that?
0: Sure. So I think, you know, for a very long time, organizations have been obsessed and actually really proud to be customer obsessed. And I think we all have to recognize, though, that the only way to deliver great customer experience is to deliver great employee experience. Your employees are the people that deliver the experience to your customers. So you can't do one without the other.
1: Do you think one's more important than the other? I would
0: say if you focus first on employee experience, the customer experience comes. Mm,
1: The score takes care of itself, which is a great book. Absolutely. Yep. So... Am I right to say that you're taking many of the experiences that you've had at Humankind and flipping that service orientation into a product with Excellent?
0: Definitely, yeah. At the moment, Excellent is a platform for organizations and leaders to learn about employee experience and to really figure out how to take this employee-centered design approach. Mm. And yeah, it's proving to be really impactful.
1: How are you sort of positioning it in the context of all of the employee applications out there. What do you think this sort of unique insight from humankind has unlocked in the way that you're thinking about this product?
0: Hmm. I think there's, you know, there's so many different HR and employee experience applications and technology platforms on the market. And right now, Excellent is a platform for learning. We are teaching the design process. I think there's so many tools that collect the data or digitize certain aspects of the employee experience. But The challenge I see is that organizations adding more tools doesn't necessarily improve employee experience because the people in the organizations don't understand how to design with employees. They're used to designing for employees. And so there's a few tools and ways of working that we help organizations to unlock. And I think that can make all the difference.
1: Mm. And let's talk about the design process that folks can take away. And I guess the frameworks that they can use to ensure that like like a customer experience, there is a a seamless flow in the way that employees operate to get the most out of themselves. So how how do you think about designing that system?
0: Employee experience is really, really broad. But if we're talking about picking on a specific aspect of EX, so maybe you've realized in your organization that the way that performance and growth conversations are happening aren't motivating for people. So that's a really important part of employee experience, right? In terms of the design process, the first place to start would be to do some discovery. And you might have some data from your engagement tool software or or surveys that you've run. The other thing that I would recommend doing is some more qualitative conversations. Mm -hmm. So, having discovery conversations, finding out what people need and want from performance and growth in your organization, and then getting really, really clear on the problem that you're trying to solve. So, are we trying to solve for? The current way we do it isn't understood or isn't applied, or is it just not working, or is it too cumbersome? Like, what is the actual problem we're trying to solve? And then actually asking your employees and working with your employees to design what would work better. And it's really amazing. I think leaders and organizations feel the pressure on their shoulders to have to have all the answers and design this stuff and behind the scenes and kind of wow everyone with what the next process is going to look like. But in fact, the best way to do it is to involve your employees because not only do you not have to have all the answers as a leader, which is fantastic. Mm. The the other thing is that employees know what's going to work for them and they're really smart and they will contribute ideas that really help you to move towards your business goals. So the process is like discovery, define the problem, design it with employees and then with employees implement it. I mean, it's a classic design process that would be applied across many other areas of
1: business. How are you sort of envisioning the product? to supplement something like an engagement tool like CultureAmp? Now that we know and we have the diagnosis of the areas where our employees need to see improvement, then what happens?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think it's a beautiful supplement for something like CultureAmp because CultureAmp provides the data excellent as a platform to learn how to use that data and how to take the next steps with it. I think that's proving to be really powerful. So they're very complementary you know, we're very early stage at excellent, but I'm really excited about how our product evolves as well.
1: Mm. And how do you envision, like, if you were to describe the perfect user journey, what would that look like?
0: For an excellent customer? Yeah. Yeah. So coming on board with us, feeling really connected into our community of employee experience designers, learning about what employee experience design is and how to take that approach. And then essentially giving it a go across different aspects of their organization, really well supported by their community. So we run a really comprehensive events programming where every week there's opportunities to connect in with other EX designers around the world. And I think that's a really important part of the user journey for us at Excellent.
1: Hmm. How about you give us an example of like a great user story? Does anything come to mind?
0: One story comes to mind, one of our customers is a head of people and culture within a growth company. She was working on a particular initiative to improve the employee experience and had a bunch of data. So they use an engagement tool and she had a whole bunch of data and she'd also done some discovery sort of sessions, one-on-one interviews to learn more about the data. And when she joined Excellent, it was the, the challenge for her was kind of understanding how do you take the data and the discovery to insight to next steps to designing with uh, um, the employees and her organization and after doing a couple of the lessons within excellent and also being in our community and soundboarding with others in the group about how to take that next step into going from discovery to insight to action Mm. she felt really confident to take those next steps she actually even showed the community what she was working on and the Outcome for the organization has been a really clear employee value proposition, which all employees have been involved in designing. And that's now going into helping them to attract even better people into the organization. So it's really powerful. Their EMPS has improved rapidly. And that was because of taking a a super employee-centered approach and involving people where, you know, she's an experienced practitioner and she'd never actually taken this approach of really involving employees at every step of the process.
1: And what do you think makes this community so special? What's its heartbeat?
0: Yeah, it's it's such a great question because our community is incredible and every community call that we have, we feel all the feels after every single uh, <laughs> event. Yeah. And it's vulnerability, it's generosity, it's people that are genuinely passionate about taking a human-centered approach to work and really want to see others do the same as well. So the sharing and the learning... And the openness is incredible. And we have practitioners at all levels, like a global head of employee experience with an organization of 80,000 people right through to the head of employee experience of a startup with 10 people. And they're all getting exceptional value. So it's it's really cool to see.
1: So you have a decade of, well, not quite, but nearly a decade with humankind and all of the lessons from that experience. And now you have this beautiful community and this learning framework for people to take insights directly into their organization? Why have you taken this approach at the beginning of Excellence Journey?
0: Employee experience design is actually an entirely new category. And I think there's a huge job to be done to not only build a company and a product, but also to develop this, this category in the world and, and help people to understand what it is. So, our approach is to really deeply learn about our customers. And while you're right, I have, I mean, Humankind did turn 10 this year. So I've got over a decade of experience in this space, but, you know, HR has changed a huge amount since I, even since I started Humankind. And um, I've been talking about employee experience for probably seven years now. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned the pioneer of employee experience, Mark Levy, who was the very first head of EX at Airbnb. I listened to a podcast seven years ago and it really did, with him in it and it changed the path of my career and also changed the path of humankind and we've been ever since then kind of on this journey of talking about employee experience learning about employee experience developing frameworks helping others to do it but it's still super early days so the reason we're taking this approach is to ensure that as this category evolves, we're going to be building a product that's going to make a big difference, not just add to this huge HR technology stack that already exists.
1: Mm. And what do you think is driving this category and its place in the world? And what do you think people would be surprised to learn about employee experience?
0: I don't think people will be surprised to know, but I mean, expectations of employees have evolved so much. And there's I think there's lots and lots of reasons behind that. But one thing that I find really interesting is the idea that, you know, people are really lacking community and belonging in other areas of their lives. And there's data now to say that the most trusted entity in someone's life is is the organization they work for now, not the government or the news or their church or, or whatever it maybe used to be. And so, employees are coming to work looking for far more than just a job. They're looking for community and they're looking for somewhere to really belong. And that really ups the stakes of what's expected as far as employee experience goes. And leaders and organizations are having to really grapple with these really rapidly increased expectations and deliver something that's going to meet the needs of these employees. And I think that's where employee experience design comes in because the problems have never been harder for leaders and organizations. And there's not an obvious answer. There's no best practice to lean into. So we need to be designing with our people to figure out what's going to work going forward.
1: Mm. I'm curious, like, and this is again, sort of pulling on the thread of community. What what are some of the decisions you made with that community that you look back on and, and you're proud of, and you're happy that you made those calls?
0: Yeah. Building a community is is not easy. As we went live with Excellent only about six weeks ago, we were reflecting on the employee experience design community, which has has turned into Excellent and, you know, on the early days. And we've always hosted a weekly community co-working call. And I remember in the early days showing up going, is anyone going to show up to this call? And I'd be sitting there and really nervous. And sometimes one person would show up and sometimes two. And on the odd occasion, no one would. Mm. And, you know, it felt so deeply uncomfortable <laughs> to be in this position where you're like growing something from scratch. And now I look back on those days and I'm like, I'm glad I stuck at it because it is not easy growing a community, but our community is. So wonderful. And it's it's still really small, but I see huge potential in it being in really enormous. But I think, yeah, the early days were not easy.
1: Mm. How long did it take for you to see traction in that community? And what do you think the unlock was?
0: It's actually really interesting because I actually think I saw traction really early, even when the community was tiny, because of the types of people that joined. So mm. I could see that immediately, even if there was only three or four or six of them, connecting and sharing that that was incredibly valuable for the people on those calls and, and that community interaction. And I had someone say to me the other day, this particular person's soul charge in a growth company and in, in the people space. And she said, oh, I've just got a friend that's also taken on a soul charge role in a, in a, in a, in a growth company. And she told me how lonely she was. And I realized that I'm not lonely at all because of the excellent community. And she said that was a huge thing for her. And I was so stoked to hear that because I know when you're in a role, you know, pushing an agenda forward within an organization, if you're the only one, it can feel really lonely. And our community means that it doesn't for people that are in those roles.
1: What do you think were some of the acute pain points that people had felt that HR as a category was missing that sort of drove the motivation to explore employee experience as opposed to some of the HR communities that exist out there?
0: I think on the large HR people really want to make a difference and HR people really care about people Mm. and when you're in HR and you're delivering initiatives that maybe don't hit the mark or you know you work really hard on something that you think is going to make a difference in the organization and it doesn't or you can't influence to get buy-in for this particular project that you really know could help that is so frustrating for a group of people that that really care Mm. and so I think that's that's where the tides have turned where we, you know, as an HR group, you don't need to have full responsibility for having all that design on you. It's it's about taking a completely new approach, actually unlearning a, a lot of what we've learned in our careers and what organizations expect from us, which is to have the answers and be the advisors. And instead actually taking that design-led approach, it is incredibly powerful. It works. And it really has the impact that I think everyone in HR seeks to have.
1: Mm, this is sort of a... A playful question because every organization is different. But if you were to describe the ultimate employee experience, what do you think at a high level that would look like?
0: I think if I'm putting myself in the employee's shoes, it has to feel personal. I would like, if it was my employee experience, it feels that it really meets the needs and suits my personal objectives. So that might include like how my work is organized, or it might include the projects that I've been given to be responsible for, or or maybe it's the flexibility I have in my working hours, but employee experience has to feel like it meets my needs. And also that I've had a voice in the decisions that impact me. And other than that, I think, Anything's on the table because it's different for everyone. And I know when you're in a really large organisation that that hyper personalized experience thing is is hard, mm. but I think there's a way of giving people choices and input into decisions that impact them that is very powerful. Talk to your people, why did they join? why do they stay? What's getting in their way? what do they love? Really simple questions will unlock so many answers for you as to where you might want to focus, double down, or fix problems and there's you know so many things that might come up in that and i think a lot of the time as leaders we don't ask because we might be scared about what does come up but i think having the courage to ask is the first step and then also having the confidence that people aren't going to be completely unreasonable (laughs) Mm. you just got to do that to to, to ask those questions yeah
1: if it's so simple what the hell is going on (laughs) (laughs) like why why aren't leaders asking like just pull out the survey and just, just ask someone what, like, what's the deal?
0: <laughs> I think it's fair. I really do. I think organize it. I, I think, I think it's fair and also a bit of ego and I don't mean ego in like a bad way, but it's the ego that holds us back. So I know in my own personal journey as a leader. I thought, I had to have the answers Mm. and it's just not the case. So when we know that we don't have to be the smartest in the room and we don't have to know the way to uh, solve every problem. And if there's a culture challenge, it's not just our problem if you are willing to accept that and also you really believe that your people are there they're smart you know they want to help push the organization forward and so you're willing to ask them that's a huge step forward and so it's a mindset thing mm. so it's crazy because it's not that it's not complicated but it's also not easy if you know what i mean
1: mm. yeah i know what you mean the employee engagement movement was really only a decade old and people only started searching about culture in the early sort of 2000s. And then now it's like, okay, we have the data and information. Now it's about actioning that into the best and you put it personalized employee experience. Have you seen any other sort of trends or to put it sort of differently, where do you you see the next decade of employee experience heading?
0: So I think in the next decade, what we're going to see is, organizations really really deeply listening to their people and designing solutions with them Mm. and I know that neither of those things are fast or easy Mm. and so Mm. I'm not trying to pretend that it's an easy thing because all of this requires investment of time and ultimately time is money but I think the results speak for themselves I think if organizations take the time to deeply listen and then design solutions with their people ultimately you save time in the long run because you're not wasting time and money on initiatives that just don't land and you're actually involving people. So they're super engaged and they stay and they want to be part of it because it's their voice and they've designed this, you know, this situation, all these ways of working that ultimately impact them. That's what I see. And that's what I hope, you know, my personal vision is that every employee has the opportunity to contribute to decisions that impact them or have, has the opportunity to contribute to their own employee experience.
1: Mm, mm. And I know we won't dive too much in a product, but I know you don't have much of a product background and I, I know I have permission to ask this question, but what gives you the conviction that you can build a product?
0: Yeah, I mean this is not the first company I've built and I've had to learn so many things when I first started my first company I really didn't know anything and so you know when you learn about finance and team building and how to build a brand and all of those things I feel like this is similar I'm on a very steep learning curve uh you know vertical <laughs> I have a really deep love of learning I've got a lot of curiosity I deeply care about our customers and I think I can attract great people so I back myself to do it.
1: And what are you doing to attract exceptional people and in particular product and engineering talent?
0: Yeah, so our mission is really exciting. You know, we want to transform the world's experience of work. And when I talk to people about that, people want to be on board with that. We've actually had customers tell us that when we're looking for talent in XYZ country, can we please join? So I um, I think having a compelling mission really helps. And then we do have, you know, our, our small team is really f- phenomenal. And I think they're also going to help me to attract those people. And we've got a great head of product right now who has grown and led strong product teams before. And I know that he'll be a great support in that as well.
1: 100%. And I'm really curious sort of on that thread, how do you think about employee branding? And how important is it? I know you've thought a lot about this. I'm keen to get your insights on if I haven't thought about employee branding before, what are some steps that I can take to put my company in the best position for that piece?
0: Great. So employee branding is really the external expression of the promise that you make to your people. And that's your employee experience coming to life. So your brand or sometimes people call it the expression of your employee value proposition is about what makes it unique to work in your organization and a couple of key things that I think of here is one if you've got any employees at all ask them what they think is unique about your organization don't feel like it's got to all come from your head because often the people that are working in your organization will know why they've joined and why they stay and then the big piece of advice I've got is be real. This is not a time to be aspirational. You can be aspirational about your mission and your vision, but you cannot be aspirational about like the role or what it feels like day to day. In particular, if you're in a startup or a growth company, you know, you've got to be really real about what that proposition is that people are joining you for. And often it's, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's a wild ride. And so you're looking for people that want to be on that. And so making sure that your promise is accurate is critical Mm. and then sharing the story. And you can share that through your own personal channels, ask your team to share it and get experts to help you in that space. But I think like personal sharing is is key.
1: And what are the implications of I guess, lying about the reality of your employee experience. It seems obvious why people would be led down that road in a highly competitive hiring market and make it seem like there's more flowers than the reality. And so I'm just curious what happens to firms that choose that route
0: yeah you know it's tempting if you're trying to bring someone on board and you're trying to like beat your competitors for that particular talent you you might want to tell some some exaggerated stories but it's not a good idea because it sets the relationship off on the wrong foot if people come into your organization and it's not what they expected like the promise isn't delivered upon immediately they're not going to be happy and after they sign their employment agreement if that kind of onboarding even pre them getting to your door doesn't feel like what they thought it was going to feel like if there's a gap between the promise and the reality, that is a huge problem for you and your organization, because you're not going to be able to keep that person. And it just sets the the relationship off on the wrong foot. Mm. So being honest is always the best. And to be honest, I really believe that if you're honest, even if the story's a bit gnarly, that will attract someone. And that someone will be the right person for what that particular situation is right now. Even if your organization is having a tough time, being honest about that tough time, but what you want to do to get out of that is way more attractive to the person that's actually going to be able to help you and have the grit to get through that than it is to the person that wants to come in and just join you know, at the other end of it.
1: Mm. And even broadening the the, the question on, on branding, excellence branding is, is stunning, but how have you thought about building that brand, especially so it can cut through the noise and hopefully be this category-defining business?
0: A couple of things. So I'm, I'm really big on brand. I love creating brands, and I believe that brand is uh, so much more than uh, just the website and the logo and the colors. It's It's every interaction that your community has with you, whether it be through the experiences, your products you personally, um, your values, all of that stuff come into life. We've always chosen really great partners when it comes to building brands. um, And so we had a really wonderful partner to help us bring the excellent brand to life. Um, And having that external person that can help draw out those ideas is really powerful. But brand is, for me, being really transparent about the journey as well. I, I love to share a lot about the company building as well as what we're building, as well as our customers. And I think that really brings people on the journey with you. And they want to, you know, they want to jump on board and help.
1: Mm. The different stages of a company's life, how much time should a CEO be thinking about people? Let's say for example, you're at 10, you're at 50, you're at 150, you're at 500. Of my calendar, there's obviously the hiring retaining sort of piece that changes through time but even on this holding this promise to your employees and building that employee experience how do you think that shift will change in the way that a ceo should be spending their time in the in the great scenario
0: yeah depending on the ceo's immediate team around them it's always going to be a pretty chunky piece of time and that doesn't have to be spent on like what are our people policies it might just be thinking about how you communicate the vision and how you're communicating the next steps of the strategy that also impacts people. So people will always be a chunky part of someone's diary. And as an organization scales, it will stay a chunky part and they'll have great people to help them to do it, whether that be a chief of staff or a chief people officer and all of their executive who also have people as a chunk of their responsibility and time. It's the only way to get stuff done in an organization is through people. Mm. So uh yeah, focusing on them is is, is going to be the way to get that done.
1: I wonder if like in 10 years time, the title CEO just is so out of fashion and then like chief people officer is like the new way to describe what a CEO actually does.
0: Yeah, maybe. Do you know, it's really interesting. This, it's actually... There's not that many chief people officers that then make the leap into chief executive officer. Mm. It's much more common for a COO or a CFO or something else to come through to CEO, but I'm seeing a little bit more of it and I actually read an article recently, you know, in the post-COVID time that a lot more chief people officers are being recognized as being able to be broader leaders because of the impact that COVID had on organizations and how organizations realized that without bringing their people on that journey over those crazy few years, they would have been able to do nothing. Mm. So I think it's really interesting. Maybe the CEO role, yeah, maybe the the pathway to that might change as well.
1: Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. That was so epic.
0: Thank you so much, Mason. It's always great to talk and uh, appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you left with more energy than when you started, we'd be super grateful. If you liked, subscribed, left a review, even share it with a friend. In case you want to keep in touch, share feedback or even a pitch deck, I'll leave my blank card in the show notes for you to get in touch. Thank you so much for listening once again and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Godspeed.